Welcome to King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. Good morning, everyone. My name is Tara Wolf, and I'm the Director of Community Engagement here. It's going to take a little while. I thought it wasn't... I didn't think it was going to take that long uh, to remember my title. Um, Greg Kohlenhofer is going to pass out uh, some papers to you this morning. We are going to be in three different uh, places in Scripture, so I printed them out for you. I also encourage for you to look in your Bibles or on your phones or however you uh, read Scripture today. Uh, We're going to be in Matthew chapter 27, Psalm 22, and Psalm 69. And one of the reasons I also put this on paper is that if you wanted to circle anything or you wanted to be able to look at two different passages at the same time, uh, that you didn't have to flip back and forth. But Pastor Harmon is uh, teaching First Communion tonight. He always, excuse me, does the last First Communion class. So I get to teach the last Bible study. (laughs) And as usual, there's a lot to get through. We'll see how much of it we get through uh, today. On on uh, On the schedule, the Bible passage that was assigned was not the entire crucifixion story, uh, but I have expanded that to the entire crucifixion story, uh, because why not? Um, because I, I like a challenge. Also, somebody said, are you going to talk about the temple curtain being torn? I said, I am now. Uh, so yes, we are going to include that today. Um, so we are going to be in Matthew 27, 32 through 56, 32 through 56. As I said, it's, uh, that's not what was assigned for today. It really only went up to 44, but it's also, I think it's good to have this even before we get into Holy Week, which is, of course, next week. Let's pray. Lord, may our time and our study be honoring and glorifying to you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would... Enlighten our hearts and our minds that we would come to this passage anew. That your love for us and for all humankind would be made known to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So we are going to, first we're going to read through this. Uh, It's kind of a long passage, but... I'll read through it while I read. If you want to make notes or circle things that kind of stand out to you, we'll have that time after uh, we get done reading. So you can be prepared either by circling things that you have questions on or perhaps uh, just things that jump out to you that maybe are new to you or that you see them in a new and fresh way. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. 
This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those who were with him, who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Okay, big passage, right? <laughs> a lot in there. What jumps out to you? Either something new, something old, something you have a question on, reactions. Sue? Oh, sorry. Sorry. Forgot. Microphone. You're welcome, everyone online. Yes. Two robbers. Wasn't one a murderer? Wasn't one a murderer. Possibly? Possibly? I thought in a different script. Uh, text that said Rome was a murderer as well, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, or perhaps we're just highlighting one of the one of the things that they've done. Yeah. Okay. I jumped out to you. Who else? John. The curtain in the temple that it refers to here, I believe, was the curtain in front of the Holy of Holies. And only one priest was ever allowed inside there. And I believe the splitting of the curtain was a symbolic of the opening up of whatever, uh, the holiest of holies to everyone, not only just to that one priest. Yeah. And we'll get to the rest of the whatever, because there's more, right? Yeah, there's more to that. And, and who now is that high priest, right? Uh Pastor James Boyce, uh, a noted Christian author, he said 
in his mind, the greatest miracle of salvation is a centurion. Mm. What a hardened man he must have been. Yeah. And he was converted. Yeah. Yeah. Krista? So this, along with the temple tearing, or the curtain tearing, um, just the magnitude of the earthquake. Mm. And I think it's easy to, I usually, I, I find myself at least kind of glossing over that. But when, you know, when you read that the, the earth shakes, rocks split, tombs broke open, then the bodies of many holy people were raised and mm-hmm. they appeared to other people who would recognize them and know that they had died. So I, when you were reading this, I immediately, I thought of, March, the season, the month of March and how we say, Oh, if it comes in like a lamb, it'll go out like a lion and vice <laughs> yeah. versa. And, and just how Jesus entered this world so quietly mm-hmm. and unannounced and, you know, just a few new. And then of course the word, but then his death mm-hmm. and the magnitude of that and yeah. how different it was and how these crowds and, and just, anyway, I just found myself thinking about that. Yeah. It wasn't quiet. It was not quiet. Yeah. Yeah. More like a lion. Anyone else? Before we jump in, Kevin? Just, uh, the torn, comp- the, the, uh, <laughs> the torn uh, uh, curtain mm-hmm. was, a, was 30 foot tall. Mm. This was not a fragile piece of cloth. Yeah. This protected the community from the Almighty. Yeah. Um, and, and so this is a substantial thing, and tearing it would not be a small enterprise if you were trying to do it intentionally. Right. And not an accident. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not an accident. Yeah. Certainly not an accident. Something very big. There is commonly. Having listened to the last couple of studies online, it is very helpful when you can hear people speak. So thank you for doing that. Thank you. Uh, the thought I have is one of all this commotion. I mean, what happened to these people that were there? I mean, how did they feel? I mean, this had to be talked about for years and years and years after it occurred. Yeah. Do we, we never read anything, though, about that. So it, it just, uh, you know, one of those things. Uh, I don't know what Matthew Henry had to say about this. but Yeah, okay. Based on their reactions, I'm not going to take the bait. So, <laughs> yeah. It, 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 and and we will end kind of close to to that, which is with the centurion and then uh, the soldiers. You know, this did make an impression, and 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 what was the impression on other people as well? It was certainly different, right? Yes. Oh, Mary. Okay, sorry. So the saints who rose, did they return back to God after all of this? The saints who who rose who rose from the dead here. Do say that one more time. Did they turn back to God or return? Did they stay above with the with real world people? then? Or did they go back to heaven? Yeah. We don't know. That we assume we assume based on Lazarus' resurrection and probably his subsequent death at another time. Um, there's nothing in scripture that says that they didn't die again. Um, but but this is to make a point, right? So um, this is setting the atmosphere 
Matthew points us out to set the atmosphere of what has happened, not necessarily to give us all of the all the details of what we want to know, <laughs> right? So what we want to know, we want to know that. I'm sure it freaked a lot of people out. Yeah, I would be certainly freaked out. Mary Lou, yes. Uh, back to the beginning where it says that uh, they offered him a drink with gall. Mm-hmm. I read somewhere where the gall was a type of narcotic that would have dulled the pain, but mm-hmm. he chose not to do that. Mm-hmm. Anyone else? Yes. Fred. Thank you. Two points and kind of minutia, but on the, the, the raising of the dead, it's that they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection. And we're talking about his death here. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see the resurrection coming, but yeah. it hasn't occurred. But they, It's kind of a reporter's, you know, here's yeah. the whole story, but I don't give it to you in complete <laughs> chronological order. Yeah. Another point. little minutia I had from the very beginning, it said... Uh, they forced a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. Mm-hmm. Who's they? The Is soldiers. The priests, the soldiers? The, the soldiers, soldiers, yeah. So, And that's where we'll start, actually, because um, that's my, the first note that I have when I was preparing for, for this is actually on that, that it was typical to make a bystander carry that crossbeam. The so the first person who should carry it is a person being executed, um, but if that person cannot carry it, that you could be drafted from, from the sidelines, as it were, uh, to carry. So, um, because Jesus was physically unable to carry his own crossbeam. So, yeah. John? There are differences in the, in the different versions of the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. And uh, was John the only one that was actually physically there to see what happened? Yes. Mm-hmm. His version is a little bit different than the others. Yeah, they all are a little bit different. Interesting, because it, it's very hard. This was the assigned text, was Matthew. And I really wanted to bring in all the other Gospels. Um, but we don't have that amount of time. But it is interesting, the different perspectives um, of the different Gospel writers and how they were told the story as well. So, yes, Pastor. This, we don't know what happened to these resurrected people, but it emphasized what we're doing right now is uh, more important than a person coming from the dead because in the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, mm-hmm. he's pleading that somebody would come back from the dead to speak to his brothers so yeah. that they too could believe. And the answer is, they're not, it's not as powerful as Moses and the prophets. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Ken, and then Bob, did you have your hand up too? Okay. Just very quickly, I may not remember this right, but that curtain, as I recall, was about nine inches thick of woven linen. And the point of the Tyson's uh, sickness is, he says, from top to bottom, mm-hmm. the only way it could have been cut and ripped is from the bottom up. Right. It's a good observation. And Bob? Yeah, my thought on this is, 
it took Jesus' death before people really believed, and especially in that uh, verse 54, where the centurion and the others said, surely he was the Son of God. Mm-hmm. It's like the fulfillment of what Christ's mission was. Yeah. Yeah, it took that to happen. Greg, up here. It, one of the things that impacts me is that, well, I know any time we have a solar eclipse and it gets dark in the middle of the day, it, mm-hmm. it's always a very eerie thing. But all the events, the resurrection of the saints and all that to come about. But yet further on, they, they say that, sir, we remember how that imposter said when he was still alive and that they were still convicted to the belief, mm-hmm. even with all this evidence that. He was an imposter, or, mm-hmm. or if not convinced, at least holding to it to justify what they'd done. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. Linda, over here. In Matthew, they uh, said that they placed a written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. But if you look at John, it said that Pilate was the one that said, this is what you write. Mm-hmm. And the priest says, no, you can't do that. And he says, I've written what I've written. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Final word. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. So let's jump into this and go ahead. And if you can have Psalm 22 uh, open next to you. Um, Psalm 22, we typically read on Good Friday. Uh, you'll, you'll hear it, I'm sure, this Good Friday. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> if you don't, I haven't looked at the Good Friday service yet. Um, but we usually do. Um, and so what I want you to see is how Jesus, these are, these are some of the things I want you to see today, is how Jesus fulfilled the scriptures, uh, both through Psalm 22, through all the scriptures, but Psalm 22 especially, uh, Psalm 69. And the theme today is the king on the cross. So I want you to see what our king who our King Jesus is, how he approached death, and what he chose to do um, instead of what would have certainly been the easier way out, uh, and, and what, what that means for us, for us today. So we have, so we start with verse 32. We got that down that uh, Simon carried it. The wine mixed with gall, uh, this could have been to deaden the pain, um, but it seems out of character for those soldiers to all of a sudden offer Jesus something kind, right? And so gall, if you look in Psalm 69, uh, which is, I don't know, my pages are a little bit different from yours, but Psalm 69, verse 21, they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. Um, gall here does not seem to be the type of thing that you want to drink. Uh, so some scholars think that it was actually to make food taste bad. <laughs> uh, and so that would be a little bit more consistent with what the soldiers had been doing to Jesus. I think it's Mark that records that, um, that the wine was mixed with myrrh and myrrh was kind of a spice that would also help, um, to make it a little bit more tasty, kind of like a mulled wine in the, you know, very early centuries. <laughs> uh, and, and so that it's not necessarily, it could be something good, 
but probably they were not doing it to be kind, um, just because that was not consistent with the way that they had been treating Jesus. But it does correspond to Psalm 69. Uh, some, some scholars think that Jesus may have refused to drink it, not because of the taste, but because he wanted to be fully present for all that was happening in case it did deaden the pain. And that was something common that they would do was to give, to give crucified people uh, this so that it actually made their time last longer on the cross so that they had more stamina to last on the cross instead of just dying a lot faster. But Jesus, Jesus chose not to. Um, go ahead. And so verse 35, when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Go over to Psalm 22, verse 17. And 18, because 17 and 18 go together here. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. If you see in 17 and 18, all my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. Another version says they eyed and looked at me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So what the suffering servant is experiencing in Psalm 22 is what the suffering servant and righteous person of God is, is suffering in Matthew in Matthew 27. Um, so we, we see that they also kept watch. The interesting thing is, is if you go to the end of this passage that we read, uh, they kept watch over him. Who knows how many witnesses you needed for something to be valid in, in their day? What was, the, what was the valid testimony of witnesses? Two or three, right? So we know that there are certainly lots of soldiers there who are watching over him. So then later, when they say truly he was the son of God, these aren't people who just happened upon the scene. They were people who had watched everything, had participated in everything, right, from, from the start there. And they are watching over him, not only to, to show the correlation between... Jesus in Psalm 22, but also to give some validity. Matthew's saying, hey, these people were watching what were happening. Um, later, they came to a different conclusion than what they started out with here. Um, so crucifixion, we have above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Crucifixion was not only a deterrent tactic for people who rebelled against Rome, um, but that was certainly one of the reasons that they crucified people. And they didn't always put people super high up on, um, you know, the poles and, and whatnot. Uh, they oftentimes, they would just be just off the ground, uh, which is a little different in Jesus when they put the sponge up to him on the stick that probably denotes that he was up a little higher because he wasn't so close to the ground. Uh, but they didn't do it just as a deterrent. They also put the charge on the person, so Jesus very possibly could have carried his charge around his neck on the way up. That's what they would do to crucify people. And then they would hang it there so that anyone who was passing by who had not been there during that time, interesting, we hear two disciples on the road to Emmaus say to Jesus, where have you been, right? Don't you know all these things? Uh, and so they would put people there with the charge above their heads so that even if you were just passing through, you knew what it was that that person did against the empire. And certainly, being a king would have been, right, against the empire, against, against Rome. So we see that, uh, that it is a different charge, right? And it has to be a charge, not only that, um, not only, right, that the chief priest could get behind, obviously they wanted it changed, 
but also that Pilate could also say, yes, this is an infraction against, against Rome here. Two rebels were crucified with him. Uh, this is very possibly part of the same patriotic uprising that Jesus Barabbas was part of. So if you think of that, let's go into this is a possibility land. You've got two rebels on either side. You have a cross in the middle. Who was that cross probably made for? Barabbas. So Jesus of Nazareth literally takes the place of Jesus Barabbas, right? Literally takes his place. So instead of the actual criminal being between his two cohorts, Jesus of Nazareth is there instead. It's amazing, it's amazing visual, right, uh, for who we are and what God has done for us and literally taking our place. Um, it's pretty amazing to think about. It's pretty amazing to think about. Because remember, they had a choice. I know you talked about I think, this last week. They had a choice between Barabbas and Jesus of Nazareth, and they chose Barabbas. And this is the same patriotic uprising, right, that, that Judas wanted Jesus to be part of, right, an uprising against Rome. So the same things that other people thought Jesus of Nazareth was coming to do, he ends up being crucified kind of for, not really, but in the place of somebody who actually did the uprising. It's, it's a little interesting. It's just a little interesting to think about. That's the one thing that Jesus said, I'm not here to do that. I'm just not here to do that. That's not who I am. I'm bringing a different kingdom in. I'm not bringing a kingdom that is, that is a destruction. John? Very interesting connection here because of things that happened were similar to the Jewish uh, rituals. Mm. At the beginning of Passover, the priest brings two sheep or two lambs out for the congregation to see and asks them, decide which one goes free. Mm-hmm. And this is a, 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 just a reproduction of Jesus appearing before the crowd, and the crowd asks for Barabbas to be set free, and Jesus is crucified. The lamb that is not set free is is killed. Yeah. And that lamb is also without blemish, right? That lamb had to be perfect as well. And that's where we we see the correlation between Jesus being our lamb and the lambs that were used in sacrifice. Another interesting point, what does our scripture say here? Where are the the rebels? They're on Jesus' right and left. Who else wanted to be on Jesus' right and left? Interesting, right? Where were they? They wanted to take part in what Jesus was going to be doing. Yeah. But in the end, Jesus has two others on either side of him. That hit me like just like a ton of bricks, right? When we think we want something or we think that the life of following Jesus is glamorous, (laughs) uh, we don't think it's going to be difficult. Uh, and, and Jesus had said, you will drink this cup, right, to, to his disciples. He said to James and John, you will drink this cup, but not this cup. This cup is mine. This, is, this cup is prepared for me to drink. But you will at some point. So we have those two rebels. Uh, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, 
save yourself, come down from the cross. If you are the son of God, let's stop here for a second. We'll work backwards. If you are the son of God, who else does this sound like? The devil, right? In the desert, right? Right after Jesus' baptism. If you're the son of God, command this. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. If you're the son of God, what? Save yourself. Save yourself. Not not a coincidence, right? (laughs) People are always tempting Jesus to do something that is not of his kingdom. Even when he's on the cross, he hears that echo from the very start of his ministry. If you're the son of God, save yourself. How misunderstood was Jesus's mission, right? Jesus chose not to save himself. Jesus could have saved himself, right? He very well could have saved himself. But instead, because he didn't save himself, he ends up saving everyone, right? He, uh, he ends up being able to offer that gift of life and salvation to everybody. I think that's, I think it's just amazing what the people are asking for. They don't know what they're asking, right? And how often do we do that with God? We ask for something, we ask for something, we ask for something. And then we, we don't know what we're asking. Pastor Wernerhoff? I wonder if he was just tempted to jump off that cross. Yeah, just, yeah. Just jump off, right? <laughs> yeah. Gosh, I would have been. Yeah, it's a temptation, right? If you're the son of... I am the son of God. Not if I'm the son of God. I am the son of God. I can get down from that cross, right? It's not an if here, interestingly enough. Go to Psalm 22, 7 and 8. 7 and 8. just want you to see the correlation between this. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. You see how we have Psalm 22 on the cross? You see where we're getting this now? Yes, Fred. I think the worst suffering of him was his last words. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Mm-hmm. What else could be worse? Yeah. Dying on the cross, how you die? Yeah. But. God has forsaken me. Yeah. And interesting, we'll, we'll get to, we're almost there. We'll get to that. I have a few more things to say on that, but that's how Psalm 22 starts, right? So, so from, from Jesus saying that, remember, at that time, lots of people knew the scriptures, right? They knew, they knew the Psalms. They would know these things. They would, they would say them when they would, when they would be in worship. They would hear them when they would be in worship. So when Jesus says that, imagine hearing something that you know so well out of the mouth of someone maybe you don't expect to hear it from or in a situation you don't expect to hear it in. I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that, but it can kind of be like, oh, like, did they just say what I thought they said? And, and Jesus, those were his last words that we know, right, from Matthew's account, uh, is, is how Psalm 22, Psalm 22 starts. So everybody's mocking Jesus. We see that back in, um, in Psalm 22. Jesus chose to save himself so he could save them. Uh, and then we have, in the same way, the chief priests. I kind of underlined this as I was going through and studying this. All the people that were there. 
think about this. It's not just the soldiers. Some, some scholars say maybe that the chief priests and, and uh, the teachers of the law, they were mocking him behind closed doors. Some say that there's, no, that there's nothing to say that they weren't there. But the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. Think, just think about that for a second. You have all these people who certainly should know what's happening or certainly should be able to recognize something. And they're standing there mocking you. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. So Jesus isn't just dying. He's being, he's being ridiculed and mocked. And insults are being hurled upon him. And not just from the soldiers, but from the rebels and from from the teachers of the law, from everybody who is, who is there. Um, gosh, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever felt that, that persecution, right? I don't know if anyone else here has, but that what Jesus went through by himself. And then we get to the, where I think is the worst part, Fred, and I would agree with you. Um, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it's not just that he's dying. He is now separated from God, his father, because of, because of his death. Imagine this, that all throughout the scriptures, Jesus says that God is his father. Jesus doesn't talk about him being my God, right? That's a, that's a different relationship. That's our relationship with God. God is our father, but not like God is Jesus' father, right? It's a different type of relationship. And so we have Jesus who is completely separated for a brief moment from God, his father. When I end today, I'm going to read to you a different, a different viewpoint on that because it really hits home to me um, because I think sometimes we approach these scriptures and we've heard them so many times that we don't always understand the depth of that pain. This, this and then the cry later is, goes back to that time in the garden, right? When Jesus says, if you could take this cup from me. Surely Jesus didn't look forward to the pain, but what probably didn't he look forward to the most? Yeah, the separation. I mean, knowing going into that, knowing going into that, that that's what was going to happen, I think would have been the most frightening of all of it. Pastor? My grandson asked me when he was five years old, Hmm. Grandpa, did God die? Hmm. How would you answer it? What did you say? This is my answer. He was fully man. And like us, we will die. He died. He was also fully God. And he died, but he rose from the dead. And he responded by saying, Grandpa, I don't understand that. Mm -hmm. And I said, 
Aaron, I don't either. Yeah, welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah. But I believe it. Yeah, welcome to the club. We do have a hymn, I forget, 460 is a Lenten hymn, <laughs> that uh, states clearly, God died. Mm-hmm. How that got through doctrinal view, I will never know. I'm kidding. I'm teasing. Kind of. <laughs> John? The, the two times in this crucifixion story where Jesus uh, seems to be responding as a man mm-hmm. rather than as a son of God. When he's praying in the garden, he's asking God to don't make me go through this. And then on the cross, he's convinced that God has forsaken him. And it seems to me that th- these are two times when he's responding to the events as a man would and not as God would. Right. To me, that's amazing because we don't see Jesus respond like that until, until now, right? Where I would be vindictive if somebody did something to me or said something about me like Jesus, they said about Jesus, Jesus would always respond in a different manner. But this is the time that we see him responding differently than he, than he has. Lee? Yeah, you know, you bring up an interesting point. And I think what would happen if all of us in this room were there? Mm. And you said that, you know, we all understood the scriptures, the Old Testament, which is interesting because as we look at this, is that really what we pictured our Lord like? Mm -mm. And it probably is no. You know, we never expected this to happen. But how do we relate this to our current status? And, you know, you think about, do we see Jesus at all in Mm -hmm. a different light? And, you know, it just comes to you, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. Yeah. So, you know, that sort of hits you. Mm -hmm. I had that question all over here um, when I was studying. I thought, how do we how do we see Jesus and how do we portray Jesus so that so people listened to their teachers based on what the teachers were teaching, right? The teachers of the law. So they were giving one picture. How are we teaching Jesus to the world? How are we teaching Jesus in our relationships? And does that match up with who Jesus really is? That was really convicting to me. Um, and that was one thing that I really got out of this as to say, what are we, who are we, and what do we um, do to portray Jesus in the correct light or the incorrect light? How are we showing Jesus to the world? Because you're right, I don't think we, we wouldn't expect that. They certainly didn't expect that by that time. Um, certainly not. So then we, let's finish this up real quick. Uh, immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on his staff, offered it to Jesus to drink. Um, again, this, this type of drink was actually more uh, uh, satisfying than water at this time. Um, and so they gave it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. They were kind of... Like, maybe Elijah is going to come. They expected Elijah to come. They expected Elijah to come back someday. Um, and they thought, based on the way Jesus said it, whether he said it in Aramaic and, or Hebrew, in Hebrew it could sound like Elijah. In Aramaic it sounded more like God. Um, so some people thought he was talking about Elijah. He was not talking about Elijah. Uh, so they were waiting to see if 
if Elijah was going to come to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again, we don't know what he cried. We do know he wasn't going quietly, right? This isn't, he did not slip away where there could be any confusion. He cries out a cry that is um, one of anguish, clearly, right? One of anguish, clearly. Um, And and also to let us know that he was there. Remember back to how we started. He didn't take the numbing drink. Uh, so he was fully there up until the time that he died. Uh, and he gave up his spirit. I think it's so interesting that it's not recorded that he just died, right? And then he stopped breathing or his heart stopped. No, it's he gave up his spirit. What does that tell us about Jesus? Yeah, he's in charge, right? He's in charge of that. And he's in charge of when he goes, Um, which is interesting. At that moment, the curtain of the temple is torn in two, top to bottom. Top to bottom denotes that it's not, we're not cutting it with scissors or, you know, a sword or something, that this is an act of God. God split the curtain from top to bottom, opens the Holy of Holies, because now we only need one priest, right? That priest is... Jesus, right? There is no need for the temple any longer. Um, There are a couple of things that could be going on here. Uh, One could be a symbolism that God has left the temple. God is no longer present among them in that temple. That's one, one way that you could look at it. Another way could be that Jesus has now opened that access to all people um, so that the Gentiles who are there, this is, this is the start of that, right? Um, it, it continues in Acts, but this is where Jesus says it no longer is um, just a select group of people who have access to God um, through, through those people. Um, now everyone can come and... And we, we, we read a lot about this in Hebrews and about the order of Melchizedek and so on and so forth. And so um, it's just really interesting that Matthew records this for us so that we see that it's not only about Jesus dying, but it's also about him rising. So Matthew leaves this on the rising part. John. It's kind of peripheral to what we're talking about here, but uh, many years ago, uh, I read a book by an author, Lloyd C. Douglas. It was entitled The Robe. Mm-hmm. And it's about a Roman soldier who was the winner of, of the uh, gambling for Jesus' clothing. Yeah. And what a transformative effect on his life it had. Mm. Cool. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. They even made a movie of it uh, yeah, a long I, time ago. I think I watched the movie in college, actually. So as Chris had pointed out, the earth shook, the rock split. Tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died there were raised to life. We don't know. And um, does that mean they were just hanging out? You know, when, when was this happening? Um, they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection because why? Who's the firstborn from the dead? Jesus, right? So they can't rise until Jesus rises. So Jesus rises. They can be, they rise. Um, note that it says the holy people. So these are people that clearly had a relationship uh, with God at some point. Um, When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus, remember, they've seen all this. We know from the Old Testament, if you look in the Amos passage I put in there for you, we know that earthquakes at this time, darkness, selective darkness, this is not... This is not a darkness over the entire world. This is a selective darkness. Where else do we see a selective darkness in the Old Testament? Pharaoh, right? So Pharaoh, one of the plagues, was darkness over the land. 
Um, so we see that again. God is making a point here. God is not happy. For, for lack of better words, he's not happy. He is making a point that this is something hugely significant, and you better notice what has happened, right? This is, this is something that is to be in your face. And the centurion and all of them, they were terrified, certainly. That got their attention. But what they had seen leads them to proclaim, surely he was the son of God. So we land on the many women here. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs, et cetera, et cetera, looking forward to the resurrection. Matt, this isn't a tag on to the death of Jesus. The death of Jesus has happened. Matthew then transitions us to look forward to what's coming. And because the women were there before, the women are there to take care of Jesus, and the women are there when he rises again on Sunday morning. Imagine you didn't know that, right? And you're reading this, and then you read on further, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's right. They were there. They saw this happen, and now they're here at the resurrection. So I love that Matthew leads us forward to the resurrection there. So I said I was going to read something to you. Um, Again, because I think sometimes... So I first realized what Jesus had done for me when I was 12 years old. It was in a Good Friday service, and I brought my best friend. um, And we were 12, and so we had pews. And it was my best friend, my mom, me, and then my mom. And when I first realized, because in our church growing up, we did the response, like, crucify him, crucify him. The congregation said that. And at some point in the darkness, it hit me what Jesus had done for me. And I started to cry, but it's Good Friday service. So you can't cry out loud. You have to cry by holding it in. So shaking the pew, and my mother thought I was laughing because my best friend was sitting next to me. So she started to you know, stop that. Don't do that. I was like, I'm sorry. And then she felt terrible because she realized I was crying. Um, and over the years, and I don't know if this has happened to you, but sometimes, sometimes things make more of an impact than they do in other years in my life, depending on where I am. Uh, but, but for me, this is our, this is our favorite Bible for children here, the Jesus storybook Bible. Um, and this gave me a different perspective of what it would be like to be separated from, from God the Father for Jesus. And I ask that you would, I don't think that you need the Jesus Storybook Bible, but I think everyone kind of needs the Jesus Storybook Bible because it gives a different perspective. So they nailed Jesus to the cross. Father, forgive them, Jesus gasped. They don't understand what they're doing. You say you've come to rescue us, people shouted, but you can't even rescue yourself. But they were wrong. Jesus could have rescued himself. A legion of angels would have flown to his side if he'd called. If you were really the son of God, you could just climb down off that cross, they said. And of course, they were right. Jesus could have just climbed down. Actually, he could have just said a word and made it all stop. Like when he healed that little girl and stilled the storm and fed 5,000 people. But Jesus stayed. You see, they didn't understand. It wasn't the nails that kept Jesus there. It was love. Papa, Jesus cried, frantically searching the sky. Papa, where are you? Don't leave me. And for the first time and the last, when he spoke, nothing happened. 
sit on that for a second. When Jesus spoke, nothing happened. It's incomprehensible to me what that would be like for our Savior. Just a horrible, endless silence. God didn't answer. He turned away from his boy. Tears rolled down Jesus' face, the face of the one who would wipe away every tear from every eye. My hope for you in this holy week coming up is that you see Jesus anew, that you see his sacrifice for you in a way that you maybe haven't before, and that you consider what it means that our king was on the cross. And that we would live our lives differently in response to him. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this time together. Thank you for your word and its many different uh, translations. Lord, we thank you for loving us and for choosing to stay on the cross. And for choosing us over yourself. Let us be more like you today, this holy week. And then throughout this Easter season, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and his people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.